This is Eric Siegel, author of Predictive Analytics, The Power to Predict Who Will Click, Buy, Lie, or Die. And today on the Marketing Book Podcast, Douglas will speak to me about why predictive analytics is critical for targeting marketing, why it's become so prevalent across marketing and so many other areas of business and government, and why I created a predictive analytics geek rap music video. And I predict you're going to enjoy this interview. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer in 2016. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's working in modern marketing. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything discussed in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today, we're joined by Eric Siegel, and we're going to talk about his revised and updated edition of his book, Predictive Analytics, The Power to Predict Who Will Click, Buy, Lie, or Die. Eric Siegel, PhD, is the founder of the Predictive Analytics World Conference Series and executive editor of the Predictive Analytics Times. His professional mission is to make the how and why of predictive analytics understandable and captivating. Eric is also a keynote speaker and is a former Columbia University professor who used to sing to his students. Dr. Siegel and his book have been featured in Business Week, CBS Money Watch, The Financial Times, Forbes Fortune, Harvard Business Review, Huffington Post, Newsweek, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, and now the Marketing Book Podcast. <laughs> Dr. Siegel, congratulations on Predictive Analytics, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you, Douglas. So, Dr. Siegel, can I call you Eric? Uh, yes, absolutely. You're the first PhD I've ever had on the show, so I'm really kind of you know watching my P's and Q's here. <laughs> well, the question is: Is somebody too too academic? Do they have their feet firmly on the ground and seeing what's needed to get something commercially deployed? Well, I think the answer is resounding yes, and here's why: Not only are you the first PhD on the show, you are the first author to produce a dance. Uh, a rap dance video to promote your book. I'm not uh, kidding. I'm not kidding. This 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 video you produced is like a cross between. Um, these are my words, not 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 the guess. You're a cross between Weird Al Yankovic and Bill Nye the Science Guy, <laughs> and uh, it, it, you've got these dance moves. And I, you know, I'm, I'm a middle aged man. And I'd like to, in my dreams, think that I've got the dance moves. But my friend, you really do have the dance moves. You've even got backup dancers. Uh, it's very funny. Did you even did you hire a choreographer for that? Yeah, we had a choreographer. We had the dancers. We had the set and the crew and the makeup and all that stuff. Um, this was a lot of fun. And this this dance, it's, it's available at predictthis.org. That's, that's the name of the song, of course, Predict This, about predictive analytics. And this, you know, this really was our answer to this question of, are data scientists sexy? And in fact, uh, an article in the Harvard Business Review makes that claim. The title of the book is "Data Science: Data Scientist, the Sexiest Job of the 21st Century," um, which you know was a reserved for firefighters. But this stuff actually is sexy because it's valuable. So there's some irony there. Um, the the dance video is a legitimately educational 
song about predictive analytics. But then, of course, the, that's the song. And then we made this fun video about somebody embracing their inner geek. Yes. And there's a, another guest who's been on the show, Mitch Joel, his book, uh, Control Alt Delete. He talks about sex with data. And uh, <laughs> actually, we'll, okay. we'll, we'll just have to provide a link to that interview, and then the listeners will know what we're talking about. But in it, there's a, there's a, a refrain, you know, the lyrics, and and at one point they uh, they say, "Who's your data? Who's your data?" And yeah. the other one that I uh, don't think I don't appreciate these things. The other one was, uh, "I love it when you call me big data." <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes you need a spoonful of sugar to make the medicine go down. People sometimes find this area of predictive analytics um, intimidating or they feel it's going to be too wonky, techy, geeky. But it's actually, uh, if you can get past that for a moment, the concept of predictive analytics is is simple, engaging, um, and undeniably powerful. So, I like to do fun things like that to help people get past that initial hurdle. Well, and when you hear that you sang to students at Columbia, it's no surprise that you did that. Um, my impression of the book, again, this is just you know an audience, uh, uh, a sample of one, uh, is that if you liked uh, the listener, if you liked the Freakonomics books and Malcolm Gladwell books, you will enjoy this book. That that's that's kind of the the group I put it in. <laughs> and you actually mentioned both of those authors in your book. At, at, at different points. Well, th- I thank you for putting me <laughs> with that company. I appreciate it. Um, so I think it's going to be most important for the listener if we just get through some definitions so that they're, they're familiar with this term. When the CEO is at some meeting and he mentions predictive analytics, <laughs> they're going to be, war- they, they're going to know what, what, what we're talking, what he's talking about, she's talking about, uh, to, to get them up to speed here and, uh, encourage them to want to, to dive into the book. But, what is uh, predictive analytics? So the subtitle of the book, Power to Predict, Who Will Click, Buy, Lie, or Die, that's really an informal definition. More generally, this is technology that learns from data how to make predictions for each individual, such as will the customer make a purchase in order to drive decisions, such as should I expend $2 to send a brochure. So for targeting marketing, for targeting retention offers. That's something called churn modeling, predicting for each individual. Are, is the customer at risk of defecting or leaving as a customer or canceling their subscription in order to determine whether it's worth extending a retention discount or some incentive to keep them around as a customer? So those are the two main marketing applications of predictive analytics. But this notion of learning how to make predictions per individual, which is... Different than forecasting, right? Forecasting will be an overall aggregate trend. So for the state of Ohio, are they going to vote more for a Republican or more for a Democrat? These are the types of things that, for example, poll aggregators like Nate Silver forecast Mm -hmm. over the whole group of voters. But while the political um, campaigns will actually use predictive analytics to make predictions for each individual voter, just as marketers make predictions for each individual um, customer. But this notion of predicting to drive behavior, the outgoing treatment and operations of an organization applies a lot further than marketing. It applies to whether you, you should approve someone for a credit card, audit a transaction for fraud, investigate somebody for a crime, 
um, and apply certain health tr- treatments. And those are that's just a small number of examples. So it's very much a cross-industry, um, universally applicable technology. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the book, you, you talk about how uh, predictive analytics can help decide who belongs in prison. And, and of course, when I read that, I was wondering if you were referring to the elected officials but how you know that, that's just, that's just an example of maybe you could explain that because it talks about uh, it had the issue of recidivism and if anyone's ever watched the uh, movie uh, Raising Arizona that was one of the recurring uh, jokes in the book in the movie about it was about recidivism how, explain how the how they how it affects uh, who they decide to uh, let out or or keep in prison well recidivism's uh, not an analytics term. It's just in law enforcement, somebody going to commit a crime again, be be in, be convicted again upon release. Um, so that's the risk when you make a decision about paroling, or even initially when a judge makes a decision about a sentencing guideline. So it turns out now more and more states of this country are employing predictive modeling, the same core technology, learning from historical data to render these predictions for each individual convict. That will then um, directly inform the human decisions by judges and parole boards. So how long you stay in prison may be influenced, and it could in some cases clearly be the deciding factor, uh, the output of a predictive model, the output of this predictive analytics technology. So when you go into that, it brings up some ethical questions. So when we're in marketing, we have the luxury of not dealing with that type of quandary because when it comes down to the errors – like a false positive, it's not as bad. If I predict you're going to buy my product and I waste, but I'm incorrect, I waste $2 um, sending you a brochure. Whereas if I predict you're going to commit a crime again and I keep you in prison for an extra five years, obviously there's a much higher cost there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or, uh, or, the, or the reverse of that, if they, if they get it wrong and realize, oh, you know, this, we shouldn't have let this one out. So, yep, um, both and, sides. And, and it also, in the book, you talk about how it's used in law enforcement. It's just, it's, uh, it's really fascinating, as well as uh, like the uh, presidential campaigns where, you know, I think it was uh, President Obama who, uh, in their campaigns, they were able to get it uh, very granular, or I guess pretty much down to the individual uh, as well, right? Yeah, and that's pretty much the defining characteristic of predictive analytics is that it's being applied on that level of granularity over many, many individuals. An individual, you know, more than often it means individual consumer, voter, suspect, healthcare patient. In some cases, it can mean a piece of equipment. So which manhole cover Con Edison is going to predict in, in, the United, in, in New York is going to have a fire or other kind of explosion or hazard? Which building should we inspect for fire? Which restaurant should we inspect for um, uh, uh, restaurant violations? Um, so, you know, which car is going to break down? Which automobile? Which satellite? So these things, a lot of these, of course, bring up safety things. Which railroad wheel? Which railroad car? Which oil refinery workforce is going to have a safety incident? So the, the fact is it's, it's some level of individuals by some definition. But in most marketing examples and as well as law enforcement, it's often the individual uh, human. Um, and that's really what um, defines it. So what Obama's campaign in 2012 did for the very first time, at least as far as public knowledge goes, um, they employed predictive analytics to drive their marketing. And in the case of 
a political campaign, the main sales force, the main resource is this army of volunteers. So they're knocking on doors and making phone calls, and all those one-off decisions, those millions of decisions of which door to knock on, were driven by the output of a predictive model. So if you volunteered for the campaign, and the same technology, for example, was listed as job requirement uh, by Hillary for America almost a year ago, last, as of last spring, I saw it on their website, um, it's not just the application of predictive analytics to predict which direction you're going to vote, corresponding to predicting whether the customer will buy your product. It's actually a more advanced version called persuasion modeling or uplift modeling, predicting, mm -hmm. is this individual influenceable or persuadable? Will knocking on their door improve the chance that they're going to vote for our candidate or buy our product? And are there other individuals where we really should avoid contacting them because it's, for certain individuals, they're called sleeping dog customers. You'll, you can instigate the adverse effect in, inadvertently, and you decrease the chance of getting their purchase or their vote. Uh huh. Uh huh. And it's but it's more efficient. You know which one, doors to knock on, and uh, not only that, like you say, it's uh, it enables you to know which ones are you're actually going to do harm, or you're going to lose business by uh, by reaching out to them the way you would uh, to some of these others. Now you mentioned, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you use some. Uh, predictive analytics to determine the name of the book. And some of the other names of the books uh, of this book were going to be, as I understood it, I don't know, maybe you were joking, but one of the, some of the alternate names for the book were Geek Prophecies. Uh, I knew you were going to do that. And Clairvoyant Computers. What was the, the process you used to uh, name the book, uh, to select the title that you did go with, Predictive Analytics? Um, what you're alluding to is that, that we did something that uh, some other books um, have also done, such, such as Super Crunchers, um, which is to uh, try on Google AdWords a bunch of head-to-head -head comparisons of which perspective book title gets clicked on the most. Now, that's not predictive analytics. It's analytics, but it's what's often called an A-B test. And this is a really important distinction because it's... In, in the winner of an A-B test is winner takes all. This is the landing page for my web page that leads to the most conversions. This is the product I should recommend. This is the art creative. This is the message that prevents people from stealing fossils at the Arizona National Petrified Forest. Mm. So you're, picking, you're testing head-to-head -head different contents, creatives, messages, or titles for books, and you're comparing them head-to-head -head and picking the one best one that has the best results, and that's winner-takes-all, like the Hollywood blockbuster. Everyone better like it. It better work. It's not personalized. Now, of course, with a book title, you can't personalize it because the book's title is not going to change depending on who picks up the book off the shelf and looks at it. Well, right? not yet. Only we don't have smart <laughs> covers yet. Right. Right. Okay. And so there's some places where more and more you do have smart covers, but probably with books, I, I don't really imagine that <laughs> happening. Um, but it's, a, it's an important distinction. So it's good to use analytics to that degree. But it might have been that the you know, geek prophecies might have been more appealing, even though it was the loser, it might be more appealing to certain segments of readers. So if I were able to personalize the book title for each prospective reader, I might have sold more books. That's not realistic with books, but very much is the way things work in marketing, even direct mail, email send contents. 
contents of the websites. So that's the major application of predictive analytics is personalizing content. So in general, the kinds of stuff I alluded to earlier, should I contact this person? Are they, are they, are they likely to make the purchase? Should I invest in a retention discount incentive? Are, are they at risk of defection? Those are yes, no, on-off questions to treat or not to treat the customer. That is the question. Whereas when you're talking about personalizing content, there is no passive treatment. You're definitely providing them a, a value. You're never going to show a blank book cover. You're never going to show a blank web page. Um, you, you don't necessarily need to suppress too many people from the email list because each email that you send is, is relatively free compared to direct mail. So in those cases, there's no passive treatment. You're choosing between different contents. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you say a bit more about one line from page 37, which is, predictive analytics provide competitive advantage when there is little else to differentiate the company these days? Oh, sure. So this is one of the last, you know, so Tom Davenport, who, who wrote the forward to my book, and who along with the first U.S. chief data scientist, DJ Patil, wrote the article about data scientists being the sexiest profession, the sexiest profession. So Tom Davenport is famous for this quote saying that analytics is one of the last remaining um, uh, competitive advantages, uh, the last remaining points of differentiation between companies where things are becoming commoditized and you know the touch, taste, and feel of products can end up being so similar. It's the internal process and improving that internal process uh, that really has... Um, where you're going to gain that competitive edge, and that is making decisions more intelligently. Predictive analytics is the latest evolutionary step of the information age. And what I mean by that is, rather than engineering big data solutions where there's a lot of excitement, gather more and more data. Um, and you know how do you have to engineer how to warehouse and store and manage all that data. With predictive analytics, we're applying science to learn from the contents of what that data tells us, how to make predictions, which actually render more effective everything we do, all the major operations, all the mass scale outward decisions that organizations make that you know, affect us every day. So our experience in modern society is dictated by how organizations treat and serve us and all of those outgoing treatments you know, whether we're contacted with marketing, the door is knocked on, whether we're approved for a credit card, uh, the decision is of who to incarcerate, set up on a date, and medicate. All these millions of decisions. All of which are fun things, I would add. Uh, well, not the incarcerate, but definitely the medicate and set up on a date. <laughs> right. I, I have to agree. Um, uh, that those, all those types of decisions more and more are actively driven with the predictions of a predictive model. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, it seems like uh, there's a bit of a, there's a certain intimidation people have about uh, big data. They don't quite know what to think about it. And it's almost as if predictive analytics is handing them a big ore, saying, here, here, <laughs> this is going to get you somewhere, uh, rather than just swimming in this sea of data that doesn't have any kind of insights. Uh. Yeah, so I mean, there's a lot of hype about big data. The the problem is that big the the term big data is really good at generating hype, 
but it's not good at generating value necessarily. <laughs> right. B- big, big data doesn't mean anything other than a lot of data. In fact, it's a grammatically incorrect way to say that. It's like saying big water. You're supposed to say a lot of water. You don't say big water when you see the Atlantic Ocean. But people do when they see data because they lose their minds. So, the, uh, <laughs> so, so, but, so the, and the same thing with data science. So data science and big data are umbrella terms for let's do something smart with data, which is certainly a, a nice idea, but doesn't allude to any particular method, approach, technology, or value proposition. Um, so what it does allude to is a very quickly growing um, culture of data wonks who are quite intelligent and are exploring ways to do it. In contrast to that, predictive, predictive analytics is a very specific value proposition. It's let's learn from data because that's what's big about data. That's what's exciting about it uh, is that it's experience. So data is, isn't just a bunch of boring ones and zeros. If you think the words data is boring, uh, then you're, in, you're a regular person who's having a regular emotional response, but you're overlooking something really important, which is that data is a, is a list of things that have happened. It's a, it's, a, it's a long encoding of prior events, so it encodes the collective experience of an organization. And if we want to make computers more intelligent or more human-like and all these kinds of things, well, that's a very subjective goal um, when we start comparing the, the machine to a human. But one thing that's not subjective that computers can do, that you can formally define it and you can measure how well they do it, is learn, which is to ascertain generalizations from that list of prior events. So that's what predictive analytics is. It's the deployment of that core technology that has the capacity to learn analytically from data how to make predictions. Prediction depends on the idea of learning because you're looking at an individual case, a new scenario, an individual consumer that's new. It's it's never seen before. Have we ascertained something that holds in general a formula, um, a pattern, or whatever it is in, in the form of a predictive model so that we can now score that individual? We can make a predictive odds or probability of the outcome or behavior we're predicting. So, so that's predictive analytics learned from experience to make predictions in order to render mass scale operations more effective. Right. And, and at one point in the book, you said Predictive analytics is like Moneyball for money. Yeah, can you can you elaborate on that? Well, people got pretty. I'm I'm trying to con anybody who's who got excited by the movie Moneyball or the book, and every marketer did. Good, yeah. So, <laughs> and, and as well, they should. So, you see things being done more analytically, astutely for the Oakland A's, and the, they're improving the ability to win at the game baseball. So, let's bring it back to business. And that's what we're talking about. That's great. Let's uh, go on to um, the prediction effect. Can you explain what the prediction effect? This helped me get my mind around the benefits as well as the the limitations that you're very upfront about uh, as it relates to predictive analytics. Yeah, um, the little the prediction effect is a little prediction goes a long way. You don't necessarily need to be predicting accurately. You need to be predicting better than guessing which makes the whole thing credible. Because in general, you can't predict with accuracy. And accuracy is not the measure that matters to your organization. So if you're trying to predict who will respond to this direct marketing campaign, well, if there's only a 1% response rate, 
then technically you can get 99% accurate by always predicting no. Then you'll be correct 99% of the time. But obviously that's not valuable to your organization. Instead, there's a measure, a metric called lift. So if you find a hot pocket people more likely to buy, how much more likely? Are they 3%? Uh, probability of buying that's three times more likely than average that's a lift of three so the thing is you never know for sure what you're putting what you're doing is you're putting odds on it and you're saying well this person's more likely than average to have that outcome so you're making these you're playing the numbers game more effectively you're tipping odds in your favor and that's where the value comes not for being confident or correct necessarily about any one individual but by playing odds many times over these many per individual decisions. Mm-hmm. Just a quote from the book, you say, accurate prediction is generally not possible. The weather is predicted with only about 50% accuracy, and it doesn't get easier predicting the behavior of humans, be they patients, customers, or criminals. Good news, predictions need not be accurate to score big value. So I thought found it helpful that it, it's not like you're saying, look, this is the you know, this is the perfect answer, but it had more to do for me with, you know, in the, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it's, 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 it's knowing what you know and knowing what you don't know. So, you know, the exceptions are, uh, for example, uh, IBM's Watson computer that, that beat the two all-time human champs of the TV quiz show Jeopardy. They were robbed. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I mean, you're saying is there's no no competition, but the fact is the machine was definitely wrong sometimes, but generally did a pretty good job at the secondary task that you have to do when you play that game. So if you're ever going to go on that game show, you'd not only have to be able to know the answers, you have to know when you don't. So the machine did that quite well, but when it was confidence was high, its assessment of its own confidence panned out well. So it turned out when it did buzz in the machine, it was more often than not correct at giving the answer. So it did have, in that sense, that was that's a very particular task though. So in that case, accuracy applies. But in general, it's not about accuracy. It's about predicting better than guessing. Yes, yes. And that was an interesting part of the book and particularly uh, for uh, people who like, who like Jeopardy. It was, uh, it, it, was, it was very interesting. Can you tell the story about how Target predicted a pregnancy before a woman knew that she was pregnant? You know, that's that's actually what I would consider urban myth. I feel that that particular story... Actually, that's right. She wasn't, she wasn't pregnant. It was the... Well, it's... it's the, the, so the fact she, is... Yeah, I'm sorry. To, I, I got that wrong. Well, no, that's, that's what most people think because the New York Times wrote an article that implied that. But the fact is Target did predict and potentially still does predict which female consumer is pregnant. Right. They they didn't say, hey, you're pregnant. (laughs) They started offering her things that made them Well, there's a story that somebody found out their teenage uh, daughter was pregnant. And that's an anonymous story that... His, you know, there's no con- necessarily any connection between that and their endeavor to predict. It may right. have just been that person was put in the wrong marketing basket. Um, it's an anonymous story that's that, that's 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 uh, that's unclear how it might be connected. In fact, the same article from the New York Times uh, by Charles Duhigg makes very clear that um, Target uh, knew darn well it didn't want to spook people out, and so therefore would use this information to litter a. A catalog with pregnancy or baby-related ads, 
were just in there amongst other types of ads. So the individual wouldn't even know uh, they were being targeted. But, mm-hmm. but the point is that that kind of thing could conceivably happen, uh, that, that there is a privacy or other um, ethical consideration. And it's a very unusual story because normally with marketing uh, applications, you're predicting whether somebody will purchase a certain product, not a broader concept like they're pregnant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, what Target was doing by predicting pregnancy is definitely outside the scope of most deployments of predictive analytics because you normally you predict something very concrete and specific. The customer will buy this product. They were predicting something that's considered maybe medical um, and therefore outside the scope of the kind of data that a marketing department would normally hold. So it brought up a bunch of privacy considerations and concerns. There was a real um, uh, PR debacle for them, Mm -hmm. Um, but potentially a lot of value. This story actually first arose because uh, Target provided a keynote speaker at the Predictive Analytics World Conference that I founded. Mm -hmm. Um, And during that presentation, he mentioned we're predicting who's pregnant, and I was sitting there like, "Oh, this could be. This might not go over very well." But you know, we're at an event like that. We're sort of the data wonks. We're in our little narrow world, and I think that that's you know, I think that many people can be guilty of that when they're applying this technology. But it turned out to be a huge uh, debacle when then that went fully public, starting with that Charles Duhigg. You know, front page of the New York Times Magazine article about four years ago. Right, and when actually he, what he, I probably meant was, we can predict who might be. Is the kind of story, even if it didn't happen, even if it's essentially fiction and an urban myth, it could happen, and that's why this was such a um, uh, a debacle and a PR concern, and and the public uh, was uncomfortable with it. Right, and let me just read from. Uh one other uh, part of the book here where, about this, where you say, the media coverage was broad, and within a few weeks, it seemed like everyone I spoke with, both inside and outside of my work life, had at least caught wind of the Target pregnancy story. Even comedian Stephen Colbert covered it, suggesting Target's next move will be to predict from your spouse's shopping habits that she is having an affair, and therefore send you a coupon for a hot plate that will go perfectly with your new studio apartment. <laughs> Yeah, well, if 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 the Colbert rapport back then, that's what the show was. If they're covering predictive analytics, we know the industry is getting its due attention. Yes, that's right. That's right. So, one other thing I wanted to ask you about is: Can you explain for the listener what is meant by correlation does not imply causation? I I hear that a lot, and I'm not sure everyone understands what that means. Perhaps you could talk about. Ice cream and sharks. I don't know. Sure. Well, the ice cream sharks example illustrates it. So you might see a correlation in data that higher incidence of ice cream consumption correlates with higher incidence of shark attacks. So you think, well, why would that possibly be the case? That well, obviously, no. ice cream tastes good when it's inside someone. Yeah. Well, okay. So you eat the ice cream and it makes you taste better. So the sharks attack you. So that would be a causal explanation that by eating ice cream, it it directly increases the chance that you'll be eaten by a shark, right? Which kind of sounds ludicrous because it probably is. The more more likely explanation would be that it's seasonal. So when it's nice and warm out, people are more likely to be eating ice cream. 
also more likely to be swimming and, and therefore at risk of shark attacks. So it's not that there's any direct causal relationship between the shark attacks and the eating of the ice cream. They are correlated. And in general, when you get a correlation, a connection, a link between two things that tend to go up or down together, not strictly, but just have that tendency, that's a correlation. And correlation is, is really all you need to help predict. Correlation means that, that they correspond. They tend to rise and fall together. So knowing one will help predict the other. You don't necessarily have to know why. Causation is a, is a reference really to understanding the why, the explanation. So how, do these things, how are these things causally linked? Um, that's not something you normally can conclude directly from this kind of analysis. So for example, in, in the ice cream and the sharks thing, you see ice cream consumption go up. If you didn't know anything else about how the world works, you could use that to, in, to predict the increase in shark attacks, even though they're not causally related. Now, we're pretty smart. We think we know that it's probably a seasonal thing. But regardless of what it is, we have to know that we don't know. We have to know that whatever the common cause of these two things is, such as the season and the temperature outside and what have you, um, might not be in our data set for whatever reason. That we may not have that column of data. It may not have been collected. Uh, it may be hard to collect or we didn't think of it. Whatever reason it is, we have to know that there may be some other cause of the two correlated things that's just not in the data. So you're going to see things. It helps predict. And that's the science. That's the, that's, that's the number crunching. That's what we're getting from data is how to predict, not necessarily the answer of why does it work this way? What was the causal explanation? Mm-hmm. Can you give some examples of how predictive analytics applies to the small business? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 this value for predictive analytics doesn't depend on the size of the business. It depends on the, on, on the business opportunity of prediction. So, for example, even a very small business that sends a, a marketing catalog once a year, let's say a seasonal catalog, um, if the list you're sending it to is big enough, you know, if it's tens of thousands, for example, or, or in many cases much larger than that, then it's probably big enough to benefit by targeting with a predictive model. So what it depends on is having enough data, enough historical data from which to learn to do the number crunching, and then the opportunity of just how much better would we do by, by targeting that, that marketing more effectively. Mm -hmm. So, Eric, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Yeah, I'd say that the, the, the main takeaway is that the opportunities for predictive analytics are huge. If you haven't looked at it, considered uh, deploying it. Um, I mean, this is the way to target outgoing uh, expenditures and the, the um, channeling of your limited marketing resources is pr making predictions such as who's going to purchase, who will respond, and who are you at risk of losing and at risk of defection. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What books have inspired your work in, in career? Well, my background, you know, I come... I'm a former academic, and I really came from the technical side. So initially, my main interest here was in that core technology that learns from data. So the, 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 all the papers about how machine learning works, uh, and then eventually there was a textbook, 
in the late 90s by Tom Mitchell called Machine Learning, and that sort of made it very coherent. So for me, it's this very wonky stuff. That was the real formative. What does it mean for machine to learn? How do you know that it's doing it well? How can you be confident in the level of precision uh, that it's gaining in its predictive performance? Um, only later did I start, as I left the academic world, did I start getting equally excited about, well, this is the value in commercial deployment. So I'm in love with the, the technology. Now I'm also quite excited about uh, the business value when you deploy it. Mm, mm. Are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading? Yeah, you know, there's a, a book I'd highly recommend. I read recently a, a new book by Pedro Dominguez, who's at the University of Washington, about machine learning and predictive analytics, and it's called The Master Algorithm. So like my book, it's meant for all readers, but really is a, is a conceptually deep treatment of the ramifications and amazing capabilities of what it means for a machine to learn. So his, his book's called The Master Algorithm, How the Quest for the Ultimate Learning Machine Will Remake Our World. Um, I, and the other one I read recently, finally, was uh, Walter Isaacson's The Innovators. This is the guy who wrote the Steve Jobs book. But The Innovators is not just about one entrepreneur. It's about major figures over the last couple of centuries as we developed the concepts of computation, Alan Turing, uh, and then the first actual com computers. And so all of those innovations that led to the information age and that's just a great book to ruminate on just how much has changed so quickly and what it means to think of new ways to leverage technology. Wow, and he's a, such a writer. He's terrific. And, yeah. And uh, that, uh, that, uh, that sounds like it would be pretty interesting. Uh, we'll make sure to link up to that, uh, all these books you're talking about at marketingbookpodcast.com, where the show notes will be. How best can listeners learn more about you and your book? Well, you can go to thepredictionbook.com, and that's uh, going to have everything you want to know about the book and, and myself. And um, it also gets you to our Predictive Analytics World uh, conference series, which takes place 10 times a year. Mm -hmm. Can you say a little bit more about that conference, that conference series, I should say? Yeah, it's the leading cross-vendor event, so it's really a central meeting place for the industry and, and all the analytics software vendors that are providing solutions. Um, and, you know, we've really been expanding in recent years to, to tackle all different industries. So the main event is called Predictive Analytics World for Business. It's five times a year, including two in Europe, but the other three are in the United States. And then they're co-located with these annual events that focus on specific verticals. And that really what's happening in the industry is that all these different verticals and application areas are embracing predictive analytics. So workforce, instead of predicting which customer you're going to lose, it's which employee is going to quit, which employee should you hire for acquisition, um, manufacturing applications, um, the government, we have a government event in Washington, D.C., financial services, and, of course, healthcare. So it's, it's nice to see, what, however you're using predictive analytics, within marketing, obviously, for example, uh, it's nice to see how generally applicable it is and how it's being deployed ac across sectors, how widely um, applicable it is. Mm. Well, congratulations on the success of that, uh, that conference. I don't think it's going to get any smaller. It's just going to keep probably adding more and more verticals. Yeah, we're, we're sort of trying to add about one a year. Mm. Terrific. 
The name of the book is Predictive Analytics, The Power to Predict Who Will Click, Buy, Lie, or Die. The author is Eric Siegel. Eric, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. My pleasure. Thanks, Douglas. And that closes the book on episode 74 of the Marketing Book Podcast. But please don't let the end of this episode be the end of what you can learn about modern marketing. Visit marketingbookpodcast.com for links to all the things we talked about in this interview and access to free marketing guides. And while there, make sure to sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. And to win a free copy of Predictive Analytics, go to marketingbookpodcast.com, click the Contact Podcast button, and tell me which iTunes review of this podcast is yours. First one wins. And thanks for the review of the show, by the way. What's that? You say you don't want to win the book? I still want to hear from you. Just go to marketingbookpodcast.com and leave me a message or connect with me on LinkedIn. My name again, Douglas Burdett. Or heck, just tweet me up using hashtag marketingbook. And please join us next time as we talk with Ryan Holiday, who's the author of the bestsellers Trust Me, I'm Lying, Confessions of a Media Manipulator, and Growth Hacker Marketing, a primer on the future of PR, marketing, and advertising. We'll be discussing his newest book, Ego is the Enemy. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Oh, you know what else you could say? At yeah. the very end, you could say, and I predict you're going to enjoy this. Okay, I can say that. So, uh, we'll cut Should it together. Okay. And I predict you're going to enjoy this. Douglas made me make a prediction joke. No, I don't know. <laughs>